welcome to the Creative Collective Podcast. We are here with a lovely guest, Linda Katz. This is Jen, and I'm one of your co-hosts, along with Kelly is here um, with me for this conversation as well, so you might hear her chime in. Um, but we are so thrilled to welcome Linda. Linda is a wild feminine life coach, author, and Koya movement teacher who has been on a quest for the last decade to reclaim her wild. She spent five years on the hero's journey, escaping all the external cages she thought were keeping her constrained. But after changing nearly everything in her life, like her career, relationship, city, and hobbies, and realizing she still didn't feel the wildness she most longed for, she set out on the heroine's descent to dismantle the cage that existed within and come home to her wise and wild self. Now through intuitive coaching, embodiment, dream work, and her book, Homecoming, she helps other women dismantle the inner cage, offers them a safe place to land, and accompanies them on the soulful journey to come back home to themselves fully. So welcome officially, Linda, to the podcast. We're so thrilled to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so I've you know introduced you a little bit already, but if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit more about your background and what brought you to where you are today. Yeah. Um, I feel like my journey, my story kind of shares, uh, perhaps isn't dissimilar from many people. I feel like it, it started with a wandering away from myself when I was uh, a late teenager and it started with wandering away from my body. I had an eating disorder when I was in high school. And I think that was kind of the first step of, of leaving myself behind. And then throughout college in my early 20s, mid 20s, uh, I found other ways of kind of coping with some of the big messy feelings, the things that I was really uncomfortable with in terms of alcohol was one of the coping mechanisms. And, you know, just really in, in a lot of ways, I think left core pieces of myself behind. Um, and it wasn't until I turned 28, 29, that that started to shift. I uh, adopted a doggy and I think she was like, she was my soul Sherpa in a lot of ways. And it was that process of having this awakening of realizing that, you know what, I've really wandered away from who I am. I've wandered away from what matters to me. I was in a job that I didn't really care for. I was, you know, in a relationship that had ended or should have ended a long time before it did. I was living in Los Angeles at the time and had really been, um, ready to leave for a while, but I wasn't making those choices for myself. It was like all of my life felt constraining, but I wasn't changing any of it. And so it started with making one choice after another and breaking out of all of what I call those kind of external cages. And at the end of that five years, you know, I started my coaching practice. I got out of that other relationship. I met my husband. I got married. We moved to Austin. I made all new friends, got all new hobbies. And, you know, I looked around at my life from 2010 to 2015. Everything changed pretty much. Everything in my whole external life. And yet 
I still did not feel as if I was myself. I did not feel as if my life was my own. And that was when I started what I call the heroine's journey, which was diving inward to realize like, what, why is this? Like, why am I not present in my life? Why do I not feel this like wild authenticity that I long for when I've made all the changes that I thought I was quote unquote supposed to make? And so that was the process that really um, shifted things for me of realizing that, you know, there was that part of me that was a a people pleaser, a good girl that would show up as a chameleon, the version of myself that I thought other people wanted to be. Um, And yeah, started, uh, shifted my coaching practice, met my mentor, found Koya uh, inspired movement. And through a lot of these practices began to really come home to myself. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm just kind of like blown away by all of that. It's um, very, sounds like a very intuitive process that you, you were going through. And uh, I resonate with uh, you talking about that first sign for you was was your eating disorder of like this this awakening of like I am ignoring my own internal voices and my my own needs um on such a deeper level like and then you just took took it so much further I'm um so interested (laughs) to learn more from you um and so you have a book it's called homecoming and tell us more about that yeah so I self-published my book in August of this year and it is part memoir and part what I call psycho-spiritual math of the journey that I went on and then I'm now privileged enough to accompany other women on back home to themselves and so it really uh it starts with my own stories and then it kind of flows more into the, what I call the seasonal math of the heroine's journey of the shedding of the patriarchal conditioning in autumn, the reclamation of kind of that deep wild soul self in winter, the emergence the reemergence back into the world in spring. And then the full kind of embodiment and integration of all that we are in that moment in summer and even through that part it's really rooted in my own stories in my own journey um and working with that as a way to illustrate what this journey can look like yeah I I just have to say just to be able to draw upon your own experiences and translate that outwardly and you know to help others is truly profound Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, what was that process like to actually do that deep reflection and then ultimately just put it out there and share it with others? It's terrifying. (laughs) 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 The the reflection part is fine, right? Like I, that's my jam, like the deep reflection part, like it was, um, you know, I wrote it right as I was about to turn 40. So it was like this kind of monumental birthday that was coming up and you know I really felt the call to 
make meaning of my life to date? Like, what the heck has this journey been for me? Like, not only what have, what has been the, the external things that have happened, but even more, the book is really rooted in like, but what have, what have those meant to me? What have I made them mean? What is the meaning that I have made of my life to date? And so from the beginning, that was kind of the impetus of writing the book, which I think helped because it was not so much about um, writing a bestseller or what do I think other people want to read? It was first and foremost, I'm writing this book for me. And I've also known through, you know, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. It's so often it's like the personal is the universal. And the more that you read books that are, you know, really kind of mine, people's individual personal experiences, even if it may look really different on the outside, so many times that's the stuff that like hits me right in the heart because there is, there are those shared pieces of our human journey. Um, and then publishing it. So writing it was a joy and it actually flowed very easily like it was one it was one of the times when I actually adhered to what you know some adhered to what I believe sometimes it's like hard to actually embody the things that I know to be true but this was one of the cases where it was like I knew that I wanted to write a book for a long time but it never felt like it was the right time it was like it would start it would stop it would kind of be a little jerky and when I started, it was like, it started with a one, it started with my birth story and it made me laugh. And so from there, it just kind of flowed. And I ended up finishing the book in like three months, I think the first pass, and oh, then wow. spent the next year, year and a half to edit it um, with a dear friend of mine. And I think the process of releasing it to the world is tender because it's, you know, it's, it's my story. <laughs> and not only is it my story, what I found that was surprising to me, because I thought that sharing the personal stories would be the part that would feel really tender. And it wasn't actually the part that was most difficult. It was just sharing my opinion mm -hmm. <laughs> on things that felt like it was actually the most vulnerable, because it's like a of course, you know, that it, it triggered all of those old good girl kind of beliefs and fears that, well, yeah, but somebody else is going to have a different opinion. And I'm going to ruffle some feathers with this. Like my own personal story is mine. Like what happened to me and the meaning I make of it, that's just for me. Like no one else can come into that space. But when it comes to opinions, it's like, oh, but I know a lot of people are not going to agree with this, or a lot of people aren't going to resonate with this. And can I still stand in it? Can I still publish it? And, you know, it's kind of felt like taking your clothes off in public, especially as like a recovering people pleaser of, there's only one book. Like it's not being tailored to the person who's reading it. Like it is what it is. It is what my story is it's what I believe at this moment in time take it or leave it and that was a new experience <laughs> that was definitely a new experience yeah I think uh that's so uh insightful to think about how we <laughs> how we do tailor ourselves to 
people and something you said uh like I think it was the the first question um about I can't even remember exactly what it was but I'm going to go back and listen to it uh but you were you were talking about basically your like all these external changes that you made first and then you realized internally something was still off right and then that was like this new process of digging in and uncovering that and 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 you and you call it there's a name for it you call it was it was it that you call it the wild get the heroine's journey the, or, yeah, yeah yeah but then there's this piece of like this wildness and yes versus the wild the authenticity yeah right yeah and I think like I was just having a conversation earlier talking about why I didn't say what I really meant but a lot of times we're talking about like tailoring how we say things in a way that people can receive them versus a way that's actually true to who we are and that's a that I feel like that's a whole other conversation (laughs) but I'm just like struck by these different like pieces uh because it's I'm thinking about myself and how how I process through things as well. Um, and I would love to chat more about authenticity with you. So um, Jen and I, we are firm believers and flag wavers for authenticity. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, um, what does that mean to you? What does authenticity mean to you? I think that's a great question. So I feel like um, authenticity to me, it's like, it's being true to yourself, which sounds very simple and is often not that easy in practice, right? (laughs) Um, And one of my favorite quotes on that is from Marion Woodman, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I might not get it entirely right. But she just said, the quote is, before you talk about being true to yourself, make sure you know to which voice you are being true. Hmm. And so that's like one piece, I think, of authenticity that is um, valuable and a little bit more nuanced. Because, you know, when I was in that kind of good girl energy, right, to, to be true to that voice is not the same thing as being true to kind of my wild soul voice. And we Mm -hmm. have all of these different aspects within us that are oftentimes I found contradictory and uh, they can come up at different times. And so being able to listen for and sort through all of those different kind of energies, voices, archetypes, whatever we want to call them that exist within a human being to find how do I know (laughs) even that basic question of how do I know that this is the true voice, right? What, how do I, how can I discern that? And oftentimes I find that it's, it's more quiet than a lot of the other ones, which tend to get very loud. 
Um, so I feel like that's part of it. And then authenticity is really being in relationship, I think, with that voice. And, you know, like you were saying in that, in the conversation, right, that um, maybe you didn't say something exactly the way that you wanted to, or that meant it, or that feels true. And it's like, I think we live in a very all or nothing culture. And so authenticity, we compete with this very like broad brush stroke of like, oh, I'm either being authentic or I'm not being authentic. And sometimes that's true, but I would say even within the realm of authenticity, there's such a broad gray area because of course I might be slightly different consciously, right? I might have a slightly different conversation with people that I've just met versus, you know, a friend that I've had for 10 years. That doesn't mean that one is necessarily more authentic than the other. To me, it means that it's, you know, I'm, I'm choosing what I want to divulge of myself in this moment based upon the level of trust in the relationship based upon, you know, the, the circumstance. I often say it's like, you're not going to be the same person as like when you go into work and talk to your boss as when you're out with your girlfriends on Saturday night, you know, it's like, there has to be a little bit of that room, but at the same time, I think there has to be a coherence and an alignment. And I think that comes from having a relationship with, with ourselves and with that voice of being able to discern that this is, this is the voice that is true. And how can I bring this forth more so in, in this particular setting? And isn't there also like a little bit of, I mean, I would love your opinion on this, that we were talking about like tailoring things. And isn't there also like a little bit of being like you can, you, you can express or say a thing many different ways, all of which may be true all of which may be authentic to you. Like I'm not making something up, but at the same time, so that the person on the other end can can receive it or can hear what I'm saying or so that it doesn't later create some sort of drama or, I mean, I just feel like there's, it's so nuanced. There's like yeah. this, this, piece to being authentic it's like well like I can bear my soul to you that's being authentic I can also kind of like give you like the cliff notes <laughs> of what's going on without like diving into like every single detail uh I mean I guess I've always considered both versions to be authentic uh just one is way more detailed than the other I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like there is, you know, it's like we each have our own growth areas. And I think for, for many of the women that I work with, particularly similar to myself, oftentimes the growth area comes in being able to be a little bit less filtered, like a little bit less concerned with how it's going to land. Right. Because for many of us, that's what we've been, we've been taught, we've been kind of steeping in that. And oftentimes it means that when we are attempting to express ourselves, there's so many layers of editing that it's like, 
you know, eventually it's like what we're trying to say can, can get really watered down. And at the same time for, for another person, you know, it's like the growth area would be to, to be able to listen and to consider how this is going to land, you know, and, and for a lot of people who have been in like the kind of good girl energy, I think that there comes this kind of period in the middle where we're learning to speak our truth and it like really can lack diplomacy. Like it just, you know, it's like there's all this pent up emotion that hasn't had any kind of space to come out, but we don't necessarily, that's not the end of the journey. You know, we end up eventually coming to the place where we can hold our own truth and how it lands in another and to allow, like you said, that very nuanced gray area where I think culturally, we just don't do a very good job of acknowledging. Definitely. I am for sure like <laughs> thinking about so many situations and, and, the, and the editing, what you're talking about. I totally get that. Like, I think that I do that a lot. And of course, as we're talking, I'm thinking about a very specific situation that happened and what I did in that moment. And I did it because of how I believed I would be received. So I think that is what you're talking about, like that good girl conditioning, uh, which I've been reading quite a bit about lately. And um so a lot, there's a, just a lot to process there. So uh, what do you feel like uh, often, how does authenticity play in the journey to come home to our true selves? I mean, I feel like it, it is the journey, right? It is that, and, and it is this sorting, sorting of the seeds, right? Like sorting and it, having that nuance and that context and noticing, you know, what, um, what feels authentic in the moment. And what I found is that oftentimes if we've been coming out of like, you know, beginning to realize that we haven't been authentic in our relationships or in our communication is that it can be easy to kind of go into what I call the rebel, <laughs> which is like the good girl's shadow sister. And then our authenticity can become really defended, right? It's like something that we need to push other people away. And for a time, it makes sense because that's, I think that pushing away is learning and giving space to be able to listen to ourselves when we are, you know, I think another thing is like people pleasers tend to be very empathic, right? We can kind of have the feelers out of knowing, like sensing how other people feel. And thus we tailor our responses and what we're saying accordingly, because we're like, oh, this feels uncomfortable because I'm mm -hmm. starting to sense your discomfort. And so we need a little bit of that space. But at the same time, it's like in that rebel energy, I feel like our authenticity hasn't landed. That's often how I say it is like when we come into, you know, that wild authenticity, it's like, it's like growing roots. It's, it's, it just is, it isn't something that needs to be defended against. It isn't something that we need to necessarily push others away. Um, 
I don't know if you curse on this show, but it's like, we could see like the, you know, the zero fucks given like that, that, you know, it's that kind of has that like rebel energy. Like, I don't care at all. You know, I don't care what anyone thinks. And it's like, well, you're probably going to care what some people think. If we're connected to our heart and what is really authentic, we're going to care. There's a part of us that cares, especially what people that we love think about us. And then there's a part that's always going to be there that cares what random Joe Schmo on the internet says. We just don't have to act from that place. We don't have to have that be the main part of who we are. But I think that when, um, if we hold authenticity maybe a little too rigidly, that's when we start to actually disconnect from some of the softer parts of who we are, which thereby makes us less authentic because <laughs> that's also a part if that makes sense no it really does I mean I'm I'm just thinking a, a lot about uh integration how we are one human and and within ourselves there are like sometimes these compete competing voices and sometimes, you know, that being still enough, being aware enough to uh, sort that out and to be able to really like tune in and learn as we go. I mean, I think I'm, I think this is like, like this deeper inner work that a lot of people don't get to a lot of times because we're so crowded out by like the day-to-day everything the 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 tip of the iceberg right and we're not really going deeper and thinking through and feeling through a lot of these things that affect everything else um so I do not know much about Koya. And I'm now questioning if I even said it right. Said it perfectly. <laughs> hey, I got nervous there for a second. Um, so can you tell tell us more about that? Cause like I had never heard of that before. Yes. Yeah. So I found Koya right after I moved to Austin in 2015. It was founded by a woman, Rochelle Sheik, and it's a movement practice that is based on the idea that through movement, we remember that our essence, much like nature, is wise, wild, and free. And Koya is different from a lot of other movement practices in a few different, like in a few key ways. The first is that there are no mirrors. Uh, if there are mirrors in the space, we cover them because it's all, it's about focusing more on how the movement feels in your body rather than how it looks to someone else or even how it looks to you. So it's really, again, like from coming from that space of external validation or self-judgment, self-objectification that I think many women are quite familiar with. It's, it's more about listening inward and being like oh how does this movement feel to me and giving ourselves the choice and the agency that if it doesn't feel good we can do something different and so that's one of kind of the the key aspects and the fact that there's no way that you can do koya wrong and the way that you know that you're doing it quote unquote right is that it feels true for you 
And so it's this continual guidance through embodiment and through movement of coming back home to ourselves. And it's, it's part dance, it's part yoga, it's part feminine movement, it's done in a circle, um, typically around an altar. And so it has this really kind of beautiful sacredness to it. And it's really freaking fun. You know, there's um, what really like, I fell in love with it when I found it, because there was such joy and and room for all of the human experience, the the joy and the silliness and the delight and the depth and the grief and the anger can be held in this 90 minute, you know, movement container, which was, yeah, it's, it's an amazing practice. I highly recommend. <laughs> That's fascinating. I'm going to have to like, look this up. I'm guessing there's like maybe some videos on YouTube because like, I'm thinking- to- Koya.love, there are a bunch. Rochelle has a bunch of movement videos okay, that are perfect. up on the website that you can you can try it for free. They think they have 10 days of Koya where it's actually sent to your email. And um, if there are Koya classes in your area, I highly recommend checking it out because it's just a really beautiful practice and it's a beautiful community. That's awesome. So one of the other things, um, which you've already mentioned and curious if we can unpack further is patriarchal conditioning. So (laughs) if you could share just what is it and how does it influence uncovering a woman's true self? Yeah. So when I, um, I mean, there's a lot of different forms I would think of patriarchal conditioning. So the way that I use it or see it in my work is what I call these archetypes of the inner cage. And so we've talked about a couple of them already, the good girl and the rebel, which is that, you know, it kind of keeps us in this sense of um, the good girl believes that she has to sacrifice herself for her relationships, that she always has to choose other people. The rebel kind of holds the opposite pole where she believes that she has to sacrifice all of her relationships in order to be true to herself. And, you know, that it's, it's, they kind of, we can ping pong between the two and these energies show up in a lot of different ways. And I think that, you know, as women, many of us have been conditioned by the patriarchy to be good girls that, you know, uh, and I think for most of us, we have a sense of what that is just hearing the words good girl you know it's like whether it's how you dress to how you speak to you know all of the things of how you behave and move through the world there's a lot of like I feel it in my body like I make myself smaller when I hear the good girl it's like my arms go in my legs go crossed and it's like I'm trying to take up as little space as I can um One of the other main ways that I work with it is through an energy that I call the tyrant king. And the tyrant king is another way to think of it is like the patriarchal masculine. The good girl is like the patriarchal feminine. The tyrant king is the patriarchal masculine. And the way that that can show up within ourselves. So it shows up all over the place, but within ourselves is, you know, when we get into that energy where we are just we're keeping ourselves really tight and in line. There is a constant list in our heads of what we should be doing. We are crossing off shit on our to-do lists, like 
you know, like a badass without ever pausing to notice if it's coming at the cost of our body, our overall well-being, our relationships, right? All of these things that when when we actually drop in, things that are very meaningful to us, kind of the tyrant king is this like energy of productivity for its own sake, because productivity is also what we've been taught will make us a good person, right? To be good to be productive to have a good day is to have a productive day and we never question where that came from <laughs> like and and oftentimes I find that that um that energy can also be what really keeps a woman from getting in touch with herself because when we you know we have this kind of constant list of what we should do and these like rules and edicts and things that we set up for ourselves and when you begin to take that away, oftentimes we realize there's like, well, sh what is there now? Like if I take away what I should be doing and that like inner monologue of I should be doing this, I should be doing that, what's left? And I think that for many, we haven't ever taken the time to turn inward to do, you know, like that deep inner work to even cultivate a sense of self to know well, what do I want? What do I want to be doing in this moment? What would feel nourishing to me? What would feel true for me? And I think that's where the that's where the the juice really comes in is when we begin to see that that voice and that energy that kind of push oftentimes is an inherited thing. It's a cultural thing. And that it may not actually be true for us. And that some of the things that we just kind of, you know, it's the air we breathe, it's the breathe, it's the water we swim in. And that can really, until we see it as such, it can really prevent us from finding out who, who we truly are, because we'll stay within those lines of what we should be doing. And it's also that tyrant king that tends to, it's a very black or white kind of thinking. So it paints all of life with like absolutes, like it's either this or it's that. I'm either soft or I'm strong. I'm either vulnerable or I'm blah, blah, you know, all of those things. And it really keeps us from embracing the wholeness of who we are. And also I think the messiness and the beauty of the human experience. That resonates so much with me right there, just I mean, even right there at the end, you said like the mess, the beauty, like everything. Um, I feel like so much of just personally, like what I have walked through in life is what I have been conditioned by society that you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to stay in the confines of this. And um, there is just a sense of just freeness that comes about now that I'm like, okay, but really, can I just break the mold here? Like, what can I do? So that, that just, that's really impactful right there. Just so impactful. And I think too, there's so much in there where we've been kind of taught along the way to ignore the voices, the, the intuition, uh, 
you know, a lot of that, we just uh, recorded an episode where we talked a lot about diet culture and a lot of, a lot of that is, you know, glorifying, uh, like when your body says it's hungry and, and that's, well, that's a good thing. My body's hungry. That means I'm doing the right thing. Right. Um, and so it's kind of like, the 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 tuning in the re-establishing this connection with ourselves that has been like kind of lost along the way and we we actually recorded another episode where we talked a lot about productivity as the number one thing (laughs) like if we're not being productive then what are we even worth And as uh, creatives, as people who, you know, need to, in in a sense, like experience flow in order to do our work and do it well, it's so hard when we also hold productivity in the other hand as an equal weight and then feel like this spiraling guilt when we don't meet this productivity standard or that's all completely made up (laughs) ultimately (laughs) and and just you know I went through a season uh recently where uh I had just debilitating anxiety I didn't know it at the time that that's what I was going through it took a process of uncovering it, but I was just so tired every day. I mean, just the fatigue was insanely heavy and I just, I needed to sleep just like a chunk of time every day. And I felt such tremendous guilt over that. And because if you're sleeping, you're not productive (laughs) is the thought. And, but that was what was most productive for my body in the, that time. And now I can see that looking back, I, my body gave me no choice at the time, but it's just one of those things where we have been taught to ignore our cues, our bodies telling us messages sending us cues all day every day and we just ignore them for the sake of these things that we think are of higher importance Mm -hmm. and um I'm so curious about this next question because I feel like you've already been coaching us at least me (laughs) so I'm me like, too. I'm already like digging, right? So <laughs> like, let what is it like? What's the coaching that you offer? What does it look like from just all the aspects, physical, mental, and emotional? Yeah. So I, the way that I primarily work with women is one-on-one. Um, and it's by the, it's called homecoming my uh coaching offer which is the same name as the the book and i think what it's it's a very intuitive process that i do it's not very like it doesn't follow a set uh you know 
program. There's no, I'm like, there's no 10 steps of like, this is how you come home to yourself. I'm like, this doesn't work. Right. It's more about, you know, kind of looking at what are these things listening for what's standing in the way. And sometimes we can't hear it ourselves, right? We need somebody else who can notice and say like, oh, I actually heard you say this, right? It's like listening for those glimmers of the wild soul that come through and then they're just shut off. You know, like there's like the other voice that comes in, the voice of the good girls like, oh, but maybe they won't like that. And so I shouldn't do it. Or the voice of the tyrant kings like, well, but you know what I really should do, this is a little bit irresponsible. So I should probably, you know, focus on my work. And then, and we lose touch with that part of ourselves. And so I think what I see my role as is, is listening for that and to provide a fertile ground and container where that can begin to come forth more and more so that the woman that I am working with can hear it for herself, right? It's like, it's that to me is where the magic of coaching comes in. Cause it's like, I'm not doing anything necessarily. I say what I see and I provide that kind of fertile ground so that a woman can begin to hear herself with less of a judgmental ear and so that there's more space for all of these parts of herself to come forth and part of it so my coaching has kind of three what I see is like three kind of major components the first is embodiment so listening to how does this feel in the body right because we're such a we're such a heady culture that we often we think we're very abstract and like you said we forget that we even have a body like the language of sensation has become so atrophied in our in our vocabulary in our way of being of you know noticing like what does when you think of this option when you go to work tomorrow you know whatever it is like what does that feel in the body and you're like i feel like there's a rock in my throat and my chest is concaving and i'm like okay, that's an interesting thing, you know, like that's something to work with. So just being able to start listening to the body. The second piece is emotion, which I also think has been very vilified in our culture, this like to be able to feel deeply and to have a space where women don't have to edit how they feel because they don't need to caretake for my feelings. Like, I feel like there's, that's part of the joy of coaching as well. It's like, yeah, you don't have to worry about offending me or, you know, there's a space where you can have your anger, where you can find your tears and they're celebrated, uh, where there's the big joy that can be held. You know, so often our emotional experiences have become very narrow from the full spectrum that I think, especially as creative people, we need access to that full spectrum of, of human emotion, which to me is like the guts of being alive that we then put forth into our creative offerings. And then the third is imagination. And so really beginning to see through kind of the, the eyes of the soul. So I do a lot of dream work with my clients and it's like, there's magic that happens where I've had clients that they're like, I never remember what I dream. And even before our first session, like the week, all of a sudden, like the dreams start coming up and, you know, they're, 
they're they're ready because they can sense that it's like, oh, there's a place for me to land now. And so to be able to cultivate that relationship with our imagination, with our night dreams, with, you know, synchronicity, magic in the external world, with, um, you know, like our big dreams. So often I think our imagination has been stifled and it's been kind of pushed into this vein of like doomsday planning, <laughs> which I often think is so funny. It's like, we have no problem oftentimes imagining the worst case scenario of outcomes and we are called realistic and given a pat on the back for it. But to imagine the best case scenario feels like wildly irresponsible. <laughs> and we're like, why is that? <laughs> you know, like, let's give some space for the imagination. Um, and so that's really, that's really, I think, the the crux of the crux of my work. So we we talked with a life coach a little while back. How would you describe or explain the differences between what you do and like what a therapist does? So I would say that therapy is oftentimes like we go back into the past to heal and to kind of bring up wounds sense of like the emotion does overlap I would say in my work uh, but it's less about healing ne trauma necessarily and it's more about okay if you're a, a you know that's not you're kind of dealing with smaller things but we all have human lives and things that we've tucked away and moving from this point and forward Right. So it's rather than like, I don't go into where did your good girl patterns begin? Was it your relationship with your mother? Let's talk about that. That's not really the way that I work, but it's more like, oh, this is what I see. And then what are some other options? What feels like it's more true for you moving forward? That makes sense. Yeah. I was just curious because I, I feel like I mean, I don't know. I haven't officially been coached by you. Like I said, I feel like this is uh, some form of coaching. <laughs> uh, that uh, there would be, I think, in both cases, like so much healing that that can take place and that they could really work hand in hand in a lot of ways um, to promote that. Uh, so, uh, what do you think are some, or find that some of the most difficult challenges that women have to overcome and work through? I think the, from the perspective of my work, I'll take it that way. Because I do think that as women, we have, we still have many challenges in the external world. I do not want to pretend that it's like, everything is now an even playing field. It's not. But from the perspective of my work, the biggest challenge is that we do not need to collude with the culture. We do not need to be in agreement. We can dissent. 
when it comes to our own lives. And so oftentimes, you know, like the inner voices of, of women can oftentimes start with a lot of judgment. And I think that is oftentimes, um, one of the big hurdles on the journey, especially when it comes to kind of letting go and untangling that kind of patriarchal conditioning. If we start to see our good girl patterns laid bare, because many of us, I don't know, I'm speaking for myself. I was not like, oh yeah, I'm a good girl. And I was like, I am an artist. I am a rebel. I am an individual. And so seeing my good girl patterns was like, well, that's extremely deflating. <laughs> and the, the tendency can be that we meet ourselves with a lot of judgment and a lot of almost disgust and borderline self-hatred. And I think that doesn't serve us at all. We get stuck in the same freaking patterns over and over. We cut ourselves off at the knees rather than all of these moments, can we approach with more curiosity? Can we approach with more compassion? Can we begin to see how, you know, yes, we also have a, we, we tend to internalize, I would say a lot of societal things as personal shortcomings. And so I think that that becomes one of the, um, that's that dovetails in with this is when we see that it's like oh there's a whole mechanism out there that has pushed us into certain modes of being and behavior and that naturally of course we fell in with that because we were younger and we didn't have the capacity for things we didn't know any differently like whatever it is we can approach ourselves with more compassion and by through that process, I think that's where we start to find that wholeness and that self-trust because it's really hard to develop that self-trust if we are berating ourselves, if we are really criticizing and judging ourselves for past choices or whatever it is. It's like, I think that is the largest internal hurdle is to be able to cultivate curiosity and compassion for all of the different versions of who we are. I can relate to the harsh voices and the the judgment. Um, that is certainly something just even today that happened that I was telling Jen about earlier where I experienced just a lot of self-doubt over something that I wanted to put out into the world and it's just uh challenging <laughs> to dismiss or um ignore or whatever you might want to call it especially when as as we talked about like there's this there's this vulnerability to creativity and to uh putting ourselves out there over and over and over again and and you know some of those voices can become internalized over time and um 
certainly I can see there's a lot of value in what you do and what you bring. Um, just, I mean, from this, this conversation. Uh, so are there any resources uh, that you would recommend for the, for anyone listening who might be ready to unearth some of these hidden aspects of who they truly are? Yeah, I mean, when I'd recommend my book, Homecoming, (laughs) I would, Koya, we spoke about, I think that is a, um, a beautiful way to start to uh, feel again, right, to thaw out and to, um, yeah, begin to open the, the lines of emotion. And the third, I don't, I guess I would count this as a resource, it would be an invitation is to keep a dream journal because a lot of times the aspects of ourselves that maybe we are unaware of will oftentimes show up in our dreams and our dreams can be a very rich form of wisdom and they can be a good opportunity to begin to practice. I would say that curiosity and compassion and like you spoke about Kelly with the you know, like when we have that self-doubt, like, can we bring compassion to even that part of ourselves? You know, like, can we have love for the part of us that will naturally feel doubt? You know, it's like being connected to all of those pieces. So what that might show up like in your dream is, you know, you might dream of a little girl who is in need of help or people dream of, you know, wounded animals. If there's kind of the animal instinct has become wounded, so I would say that would be um, just a resource for being able to turn towards your own experience. The artist's way, I've never actually worked through the whole process, but morning pages has become like that is a part of my life for the last 10 years, maybe. And I do them pretty ritualistically every morning with my coffee. And that can be a really beautiful way also to just write, you know, to just get, get things out and don't go back and edit. I don't even go back and read them. Um, but just to be able to have a a safe place and a sacred space where you can begin to voice and unearth some of those pieces, uh, without that fear of judgment, without, uh, needing to produce anything from them, right. Just allowing them to be what they are. That's amazing. Um, I do not know what morning pages are. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So morning pages are from Julia Cameron's, pretty sure it's Julia Cameron. Uh, She wrote The Artist's Way, and it's a 12-week program to really kind of untap your creativity. And one of the main practices, she has two kind of practices that carry throughout the 12 weeks. The first one is morning pages. So first thing in the morning, you get up, get your journal, and then write three pages, just, and then close it and go on with your merry way, you know, and there's no, you don't need to write about anything in particular. You're not writing to have your writing be seen by anyone. You're not trying to produce a finished work. It's just trusting whatever is coming through uh, in that that particular day. And I found that it's a great way to begin my day with that kind of sense of inner connection. 
so that it can be a touchstone that I can then carry with me throughout the day as I go out and do the one of the practices of doing that. Her other practice is artist dates. I don't do those as frequently where you take yourself out on an artist date every week. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the uh, artist way, definitely, definitely recommend. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm ab- absolutely going to look into that. Um, okay. So can you tell us if, if we're looking to find you online, where can we find you? So the best two places would be my website, which is singingbirdcoaching.com or on Instagram at singingbirdcoaching. Those are the two places where I am. Thank you for taking the time today to tune into the Creative Collective podcast. Wanted to challenge you for a second just to take a little bit of time right now to reflect on this episode and think of one shift, one change that you can make in your life as a result of listening to this episode. Would love for you to actually jot that down, write it down, and just reflect on that. We are so grateful for you. Thanks for listening. And if you like this content, if you appreciate it in any kind of way, we would love to get a five-star review from you. Uh, Please uh, just do that in the app, whatever app you're listening on. And we will see you next time.